And the best entrepreneurs have that sweat equity. You can tell the difference between somebody that's a serious entrepreneur and it's somebody that's just going through the motions. You can just kind of see it on their face. Like, I will figure this out with or without you, bank. <laughs> Welcome to Better Together with Kasi Epifonsev, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Costa Yepafonsif. Hey, y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Philip Clemens, Vice President of Wilson Bank and Trust and serving member of Cookville's Chamber of Commerce's Board of Directors. Today, we're talking about how to be your own CFO. Joining Wilson Bank and Trust in 2006 after graduating from UT Knoxville and serving in nearly every capacity from loan officer to branch manager, Philip's dedication to community investment both literally and figuratively has touched the lives of thousands of business owners and community members alike. Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us about your position as vice president and what does a typical day look like for you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. This is a, an excellent opportunity. And uh, yeah, so what does a typical day look like for me at Wilson Bank? They are not the same. I'll tell you that right now. You will start the morning off and you have this wonderful plan. Your outlook's all lined up and you're like, hey, this is what I'm going to knock out today. And some days you don't get any of that done and you're putting out fires all day long. But no, usually a team huddle is the way I like to start everything out. And that could be branch wide or that could be just a small set of employees, you know, the tellers because it's tax refund time. So let's talk about that. Or the loan officers because a change is coming down from the government, you know, something like that. So team huddle always gets our minds right and uh, gets the day started properly. Has it been hard for you to break into a town like Cookville, being that you've been here for six years, you were a new bank? What's that whole process been like for you guys? So I feel like reputation is huge. And while we were not here with a physical presence of an office, I think people had heard of Wilson Bank and Trust just simply because of the strength of the bank. So I kind of feel like, was it reputation precedes you, so to speak? Right. We had a lender here that was kind of working out of his car. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we were around. Uh, we just didn't have the physical office. But coming into town was a challenge, but it was a welcome challenge. Everyone is so welcoming and so nice. I mean, it really feels like home wherever you're from. This is your home home, you know. Cookville is one of those types of places where the whole world could be on fire and Cookville just seems to be all smiles. I love that element, especially having kids, which I know, Philip, you have two kids. It definitely gives me peace of mind to know that we have a house in Cookville, a life in Cookville. It's a very family-oriented community. And with the, the kids, there's always an activity. There's always something for them to do here. And it's just a great place to raise a family. And you've probably heard that before from our mayors. So, for sure. And it's true. <laughs> so as we progressed into 2020, and we had the COVID pandemic, interest rates just bottomed out. I mean, you know, practically zero. Borrowing costs, whether it was for businesses or mortgages, just dropped to all-time record lows and money was cheap. Yep. Have you seen a trend, a higher percentage of people starting new businesses since that's happened? 
Yeah. There's always growth coming out of tragedy. Sure. Yeah. Recession. So, yeah. And one thing that I admire, do you mind if I share a story about the Cookville? We moved here six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. We have a a hand-me-down old piano and we were having it tuned because we had had it shipped here and needed to get worked on. I can't play. My wife can. Daughter can. But anyway, this man came, tuned the piano and he says, hey, I hear you're Wilson Bank. And he says, yeah, I hear y'all are pretty aggressive on interest rates. Well, while I'm tuning your piano, would you like to talk to me about my rental portfolio? (laughs) And I was like, wow, this is great. You know, there's a lot of rental property owners here and just the entrepreneurial spirit in Cookville put you on fire. To answer your question, yes, this is a very entrepreneurial town. And I'd say more so now from coming out of this uh, recession slash pandemic slash whatever you want to call that. Yeah, for sure. And like we were saying, you know, there's stability here. And so people feel like they can really pursue their dreams. Yeah. And there's support here too. They can listen to a podcast and pick up something, you know, right right now. From a couple local guys. That's right. right. Yeah. So how low are interest rates right now? And in terms of borrowing costs, if you were in a different position, would you consider starting a business now because money's cheap? I think rates are going to come up. They have to. Right. Can't get negative. Or I guess they can some places in Europe maybe. But yes, rates are, are cheap right now. But that does not mean that you need to go borrow whatever you can because you can. Now, we see some very, very expensive boat loans and very, very expensive truck loans. And it's like, ooh, did you really need a $150,000 boat? Maybe not. But, you know, you qualify because rates are so low. But I know I'm getting a little off topic no, no, there. No, okay. But yeah, rates are good. If you need to borrow to start your business, then yeah, now's the time. You just got to do it responsibly. Yeah. And I wanted to segue right into that. So with regards to it being responsible, I mean, you work with a lot of small businesses. What are the financial pitfalls that you see with new entrepreneurs? Lack of planning. Okay. Not expecting the unexpected. I'm a big proponent of before you get into this, you really need to do your homework. Don't just tell me that, you know, you're going to start a lawn care company. I need to borrow money for a lawnmower. No, you need to already be bumming a lawnmower off of somebody else and paying the rent on that so that you've got your feet wet in this. You know what you're doing. And then another thing, things are going to break. Things are going to tear down. And I just use lawn care as an example, but things are going to need to be replaced. Equipment is going to need to be replaced. Expect the unexpected because it's going to happen. It's going to tear up. Something's going to break down. That $1,000 you thought that you needed, you you probably need to triple that, you know? (laughs) You know what's interesting? Um, I've been doing this podcast for about seven months now, and I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs. And I can say that all of them have a passion for what they do. One of the key elements that I've noticed as I've interviewed them is a lot of people don't actually understand that it's not just your labor that's going to allow you to be successful in managing a business. Like just working and providing good customer service and providing good operations is important, but it's not the only thing. And understanding the back end, the profit, the loss, the balance sheet, that's so significant with regards to decision making, with regards to growing your business, with regards to understanding what products to sell, you know, what to prepare for when things go wrong, right? The unexpected, like you said. And it's surprising that a lot of people consider that as the second element. You just nailed it. Yeah. think people tend to overlook some things that aren't as attractive, you know, people want to just talk about sales and growth and, you know, it's like, no, you need to talk about, you know, HR. Right. Or (laughs) profit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taxes. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine uh, owns a butcher shop, and I asked her. I said, "Well, you know, what's you know, do you use like an accounting software? I mean, how do you manage your stuff?" She says, "Oh, no, no, I just use Excel." And I said, "Well, how do you know if you're profitable or not?" And she said, "Well, I just in my head know that if I buy a hundred dollars worth of ground beef and I sell it for a hundred and fifty dollars, and I've made fifty dollars. So as long as I keep that metric, then I know that I'll be profitable. I guess it's just a way of doing things, you know." Hey, and if it works for you, go for Correct. it. You know, but, Correct. You know, everybody's got their own recipe. Right. It's hard to scale in that type of environment. When you're thinking of starting a business, how should someone determine a first year budget? That's a great question. I would ask around. So let's play the lawn care thing again, since I somehow got that into my head. You know, there's plenty of competition out there. How is your competition doing it? Because I feel like in this community, people want to help you, even though you're a competitor. I mean that wholeheartedly, especially in my career at the bank. I have great relationships with all of the other presidents, CEOs, whatever their titles are. We all work well together. Now, we love to compete with each other, but I will answer the phone any day. They would answer the phone for me and we would help each other. And that comes down to entrepreneurship, too. You could ask another business and they would help you. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. Ask around. So determine their budget. How do they work? You know, what what do they do? That's my biggest thing. I'm huge on mentorship, guidance, that type of relationship with other people. That's the way I would do it. If I was going to start a small business, I would start knocking on doors, making phone calls and say, how do you do this? What works for you? Let me work with you for a couple months. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like get your feet wet, at least in the industry before you want to, you know, jump off the deep end and take out a line of credit with collateral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> putting your house up. Oh, right. boy. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right, man. I like that. That's good. That's very good advice. Before we move on, I just wanted to ask, when you were growing up, did you just love the world of banking? I mean, did you watch all these like banking movies? And if you did, please tell me your favorite movie. <laughs> no. So I had a girlfriend okay. in high school and her dad was a banker. He was a big shot in Nashville, Bank of America. And he took me to work with him. He taught me how to tie a tie. Nice. And because, you know, in high school, you never had fun with that. And I went to work with him and we took some customers out to lunch and we had like an afternoon meeting with people. I'm like, oh man, if all you got to do in banking <laughs> is go to lunch with people and talk with them, I need to be a banker. <laughs> was I mean, this, little did I know, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> was this like a lunch meeting, like Matthew McConaughey and Leonardo DiCaprio? Like, did you guys do that? Uh-huh. No, we weren't there yet. Uh, you know, I was, this is a long time ago. Wolf yeah. on Wall Street hadn't come out yeah. yet, but I, maybe I should do that now. No. Yeah, you should, man. No, I just, you know, I'm a people person. I love people, love talking with people, and I guess love giving guidance, really. I never, I don't think about it like that. So anyway, I uh, went to college knowing to get into some sort of a financial services. I've always had a passion for like stock market and all that. So I interned uh, at Morgan Stanley when I was in Knoxville. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of cold calling. And I learned, okay, cold calling isn't for me, but once I get them in the door, I love it. You know, love talking to people. So I knew that probably wasn't right. Maybe I need to um, switch back to the banking mindset and the rest is history. Yeah. uh, 15 years now. So going back to it, if a business needs startup funds, what is the process to qualify for a loan for prospective first-time business owners? And is it different than applying for a home loan? Great question. Let's talk about real estate. So say sure. somebody wants to you know, buy their first rental property, because we do a lot of dirt loans at our bank. So we see, it. I deal with this more than just like, hey, I want to start a coffee shop or something. Sure. So 
when you have the hunger, when you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I am going to make this work, baby. If I've got to work 90 hours a day, I will make this happen no matter what. You're going to find a way. I've seen, you know, startup funds. Like if somebody comes to me, I'm like, oh, hey, you're going to have to have 20% down payment. You know, you're going to have to put up your car. You're going to have to put up a piece of property. It's fun for us. I guess you could use the word fun because it's a challenge. You know, like how can we help them succeed? It's out of the box. When you're working with a startup, you know, everything isn't cookie cutter. So, you know, bank of mom and dad, you know, do they have some money that they'll let you borrow for the down payment so that you can get it right with me? I've seen very creative things and it comes from the people that have that hunger and that drive that they will figure it out. Say they're starting a business to do something on widgets. Sure. Take terms with the company that's selling the equipment for now until you can get it through a traditional. Right. Use the SBA, leverage that. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was scaling this business and, you know, our profit was terrible, everything that we were making, we were putting right back into the business. We were trying to grow, we were trying to grow it. And during that period, I mean, I tried to get unsecured working capital, which is what we're talking about. And banks are like, hey, my man, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Ooh. I understand you got a lot of cash flow, but you know, what are you going to put up to secure this debt? You know, at least a percentage of it. And I guess for everybody listening, don't expect any bank to just get out on a limb because you have plans to change the world and make the world's, you know, greatest coffee or cleaning service or, or what have you. You have to understand that it's a relationship that's developed over time and so you may not get unsecured working capital at the beginning, but over the course of 10 years, eventually there's trust there. And that trust is through being a good steward. And yeah, it's business. Right. You know, you have to treat it like that because I've had some folks where, you know, you, I come back with an answer and that wasn't what they wanted to hear. And they take it personally. You know, it's like I've insulted their idea, their baby. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, I love it. You just got to do X, Y and Z. Right. Well, we can't do X, Y and Z. Well, I'm really sorry. Yeah. You got to figure it out. That's a part of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And if it doesn't come from the traditional bank, find another way to get what you need. Yeah. Because there's a way. There's private investors. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. Venture capital. I think you and I are literally like finishing each other's sentences right here. Venture capital, I mean, always starts with what? Family and friends, right? Yeah, that's right. Before you even get to like angel investing, you know, you get the family and friends investment because nobody wants to invest in a business, let alone a bank wanting to invest in a business that doesn't have any sweat equity. You that's know? right. And the best entrepreneurs have that sweat equity. Right. You or can they know see how to it. Get it. You can tell the difference between somebody that's a serious entrepreneur and somebody that's just going through the motions. Yeah. You can just kind of see it on their face. Like, I will figure this out with or without you, bank. <laughs> you know, and it's great. Exactly. That's the kind of customers we want to yeah. bank because they will make it work. I ran through that type of dynamic. I, you know, I tried to get a substantial amount of money loaned to me in like 2017 or how, whatever it was from the bank that I have. And I said, you know, look take a chance on me, man, you know? And they were like, nope. <laughs> we love you, but no, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. And so I really had to figure out, you know, alternatives. You're absolutely right. But if right. you've got that grind right. and you've got that hustle, you'll yep. figure it out, That's man. right. I know it. That's I've right. seen it. It's great. So software like QuickBooks, right? It makes it easier than ever before to track expenses, invoice clients, and even do your own payroll. At what point do you feel that a new business should consider hiring an outside account 
accountant instead of using payroll software as their source of accounting? That's a great question. And my one line answer to that is when you lose new business because you're taking all your time filling out spreadsheets, that's when you need to source that out. And in today, especially in Cookville, there are accounting businesses set up. I mean, I'm not going to name anybody, but there's some great ones in town that you can partner with. And it's like almost having your in-house accountant and you know, you don't have to pay their insurance. You don't have to do all this. I mean, they're great. So there's several of those in town that do that. Yeah. And then that way they can focus more on their operations and less on their back end, right? Exactly. Yeah. Go do what you do best. Mm-hmm. Go kill it, you know, and then let somebody else deal with the numbers. So small businesses, they open, they close, and they're sold on a regular basis. What are some ways to value your business and to determine if selling is in your best interest? First, I would recommend always check with your CPA. Before you do anything big, call your CPA. I mean, I do that and I'm a W-2 employee. You know, anytime you do anything, check with your CPA, your financial advisor. You know, you can hear two to three times earning. I mean, that's kind of standard. But usually when the bank gets involved, we've already kind of moved past the value portion of it. And now we're trying to say, okay, here's the sales price. Now help me buy this business. Before it gets to me, that value has already been put on there. I always defer to qualified professionals on that. There's like business appraisals that you can get. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with that, but you know, it's going to cost you some money, but I would much rather pay a fee and not leave any money on the sale, on the table to sell your business. Do you have to determine if what they're buying the business for is actually a good business decision and whether or not your bank is willing to lend them money? It depends on the size of the deal. Okay. So if, you know, if you're buying a, a small thing, then no, we're not going to question it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to overpay for something that's $5,000, go for it. And you should only pay like three. Yeah. And we'll use your truck as collateral and it'll be fine. But no, if you're in the, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars, then yeah, you're going to be getting professional appraisals of everything and there's going to be a whole lot more involved with it. So yeah. And we, we get more involved in it too, because, you know, we don't like to finance goodwill. You know, you've heard that. <laughs> I'll tell a little joke here. I was in banking school in LSU. I graduated from that in 2016. And I'll never forget this. They said when valuing a business or evaluating financials, you'll see goodwill written on the thing. And they said, never give goodwill a value, even though it's real. You know, you can't go repossess that if you had to. You can't go get it. They called it the foam on a beer. It looks good. But it tastes bad if you ever had to take. Sorry, I had to share that because <laughs> no, I've always remembered that. And I know that's not what you want to hear, everybody, but it's the truth. That's the way the banks look at it. Because, you know, goodwill on a P&L or a balance sheet, yes, it's real, but there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. What I love about this episode more than anything is the fact that there is a reality to the financial world, to entrepreneurship, to banking. No one should start a business unless they understand whether or not their endeavor will be profitable. Unless they're wanting to start a nonprofit and just do some type of community outreach or something like that. But if you're starting a business to make money, the very first thing that you need to do before you get your passion and you know and you want to change society, the world, et cetera, is can this be profitable? And do I have a tool of measure to determine its profitability? And when you encounter a bank and you get the the answer that you don't want to hear, that means that, you know, you've got a little bit more work to do before you just let loose. 
use, right? You can obviously go and try to find funding somewhere else, but the person at the bank that's telling you, let's take a beat here is probably the best advice that you're going to get. Yeah. They might not just flat out say no. It could be, hey, go do this. You know, let me give you some steps to work on. Yeah. I mean, we do that all the time. Hey, that's a great idea, but man, you're not there yet. Do this, this, and this. Come back to me in three months and let's sit back down. And then if they come back and you say, hey, I did this and this, let's do it. You know, it's not always just no, get out of my office. It's not right now. Let's work on this and we'll talk about it again later. That's the way we like to do it at our bank. Mm -hmm. So you guys are all over the place. I mean, I've seen you at absolutely every single community event that comes to Cookville or that Cookville puts on. Tell us about some of the organizations that Wilson Bank and Trust supports. Yeah, so probably the biggest thing that we do, I've got a list here, man, and it's a mile long and I know I'm forgetting some, but Putnam County Fair, we're big in that. You mentioned this earlier, but I'm on the chamber board. That's been a lot of fun. They're, they're great people over there and really doing great things. I, I like Amy's leadership. We're together on the Highlands Economic Partnership. So thank you for investing in that yeah. and, and thank my bank for investing in that. Uh, I'm the treasurer for that. Okay, great. I'm the past treasurer for Habitat for Humanity, uh, still on the board there. And we're also involved in the Upper Cumberland Foster Closet. Uh, one of our employees' sister runs that. So we nice. try to support that. Each year we pick a charity to sponsor. And we've actually done that one for the last couple of years. So many more things. I can't, you know, the school system, obviously. So if you want to know a secret, that's the way to do it. Community involvement. You see every bank at every event. I mean, that's, that's what it takes. And thank goodness for me, I love that stuff. Any event that I can be at, of course, with COVID, all that kind of, you know, is up in the air. But before that, yeah, you name it, we're there. In fact, this Thursday night, you know, is the Chamber's Christmas party and all the banks sponsor that. So half my staff is going to be at that. And then the other half of my staff, we have our bank's Christmas party that night too. So, you know, we're making it work. We want to be at both because it's that important to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask something that I think a lot of people would be interested in. So, you know, we are in the online shopping e-commerce age, right? So a lot of people that start, you know, boutique businesses, a lot of people that start retail businesses usually don't even have to rely on the local economy to support themselves. They can ship their products around the world. But there is a bit of a nuance to being involved in the community, even if you run an e-commerce business or an online shopping business. So how important do you feel that community involvement is for small business owners? And why do you think that is? That's huge. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but Wilson Bank just did a um, kind of a co thing with the cityscape called our small biz bucks on shop small Saturday. What we did was we had $310 small biz bucks as we called them, but it's really just a $10 gift certificate that anybody in the community could come and pick up at our office, uh, limited to 300 and go on Shop Small Saturday. And it's $10 off of whatever you want to buy, you know? So that's that fancy bag of coffee at Brost, or that's um, fancy Aveda shampoo at Locks, you know? So small business is huge because, you know, you don't have to order that Aveda online. Right. You can get it right down the street. Or you don't have to go to Nashville or go online to order that cool vest you've wanted from that outdoor shop because it's right down the street. It's huge as somebody that supports your community because you want that stuff here. You know, you want to keep that stuff here because shopping online is not nearly as fun as going in and trying it on and enjoying that experience. So we as a bank think that that is huge and we backed that up this past weekend. So I'm proud about that. Good. 
Good. Philip, thank you very much for being here. We always like to end the show on a high note. Can you tell us one person that makes you better when you're together? Our CEO, John McDiarmid. He's great. I hope that y'all could meet him one day. He's accessible. That's, uh, I think, the secret to our company. To have access to your CEO at a, you know, almost $4 billion bank, you know, you don't see that very often. But I knew him before he was the big shot. My wife babysat his kids. My dad shared a golf cart with his uncle, you know, when we were real little. So I've just, I've known him for a very long time. I know his family. Uh, I know what he stands for. I just think the world of him. So anytime he talks, whether it's a meeting that I'm just attending or it's one-on-one, I just soak up every word he says. I'd say it's half. I admire him. And whether he knows it or not, he's a mentor to me because I just listen and implement whatever he says. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepafonso. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yepafonsive is a Costa Yepafonsive production. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsive.com. We're better together.